0: Welcome to Hello from the Pluriverse, a podcast about sharing the stories of designers and design thinkers from different backgrounds around the world. I'm Leslie ann Noel, a designer from Trinidad and Tobago and a professor of practice at Tulane University in New Orleans. The name of our podcast is a reference to Designs for the Pluriverse by Arturo Escobar. In our podcast, we explore the stories of designers from many different countries, women designers, designers of color, and designers from the LGBTQI community. In our interviews, we explore how place and identity affect their work, what they say about design, design thinking, and social innovation, and what advice they would give to non-designers who are using design methods. We'll continue to share more stories throughout the series about designers from many different worlds, from our little corner of the world at...
1: Welcome to another episode of the Hello from the Pluralverse podcast. As always, my name is Max Esperance. Uh, I'm your host, and I'm also a one-year master of business analytics student here at Tulane University. I'm also a design thinking graduate assistant working at the Phyllis M. Taylor for uh, social innovation and design thinking. I plan to be a business intelligence analyst in the future and work my way up the corporate ranks at a major company. I'm also interested in real estate, art, and sculpture. I was born in Haiti, and I have a military background. And here with me today is my co-host, Natalie.
2: Hi. My name is Natalie Hudnick. I'm in my second year in the Master of Public Health and Maternal and Child Health Program at Tulane School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. And I'm also a to be graduate assistant working at the Taylor Center. Uh, I hope to one day soon work in public health at a state health department, hopefully working in Maternal and Child Health Division. And I'm originally from outside St. Louis, Missouri, and I have a bachelor's degree in cultural anthropology. So today we're gonna be listening in on an interview of Ray Steinhauer, who at the time was a visiting professor at the Phyllis M. Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking here in Tulane. Currently, though, he's a visiting professor at the Taylor, Taylor School of Engineering at Dartmouth College. Design thinking is at the core of what Ray teaches to his students and at the core of his work outside of the classroom, making sure to create meaningful value with his students and with potential collaborators in any setting. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about the class he taught at Princeton, and I'm also really looking forward to hearing more about how Rafe describes design thinking. Hello. Hey.
3: Hi, Rafe. Hello, how are you? Can you hear me? Yes, but I can't see you. <laughs>
4: mm, let's see. Oh, let's this is very strange.
3: Oh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, don't I know mean, I had starting... a Zoom call this morning, and it worked
4: totally fine. Well, okay. Uh, so how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm clicking on stop video. Okay, oh, it's not open.
3: Uh, okay. No. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, I like can a see. It's sliding.
4: Open, not open. I never even noticed. Ah, uh, okay. On my laptop. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm second week of, uh, of work. I'm figuring out all these new fun things like that. I can open my
3: webcam, and I can. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay. Yes. So, um, thank you for uh, agreeing to do this uh, test with me for this interview, and uh, I'm very happy that um. Like, I got you to do the interview with me, uh, just because I, I know nothing about design thinking. And I, I think I've seen, like, uh, a video or something for you on YouTube where you were explaining stuff about design thinking. So I've, I've done a little bit of research about you. <laughs> I haven't done a lot. <laughs> but, yeah. I'm curious. Yeah, what,
4: what was the... Uh, sem- I think,
3: Yeah, I think it was for, from Keller Center in Princeton. Yeah. Yes, and you were like doing some design. Thing. It was a very short video, but you, okay. you explained stuff like really in a simple way. That was very simple. Okay. I've seen it yesterday. So um, I sent you the questions yesterday because I just wanted you to take a look at them. So um, um, Yeah, I took
4: a brief look, and then I was planning on looking at them more this morning, but I couldn't get unboxed.
3: Right. Yeah, um, I'm. sorry. Yeah, I should have just sent you the Google Doc without being it on a box fo- because like this happened with me. And the good mm-hmm. thing is that I actually like I printed the questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because Box did not work with me too, so I was I had the questions printed. Okay, so um, this is common with Box. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, this is also the first time for me to use it. I've never used it. I always use Dropbox anyway. So uh, first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. I, I've read about you, but like people who will hear this interview, they would love to know more about you.
4: Sure. Do you want to record to practice that or? I'm recording um, right
3: now. Oh, you know, are. Huh? Yes, I am recording.
4: Oh, I do see it. Okay, sorry. I thought it would show up on my record button. Oh, good thing I didn't curse on this first. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, but we're going we're gonna to edit everything, so we're going to edit the videos. <laughs>
4: okay. okay, good. Okay. Um, a little bit about me, yeah. So, it, uh, it is my second week at uh, Tulane at the Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking. Uh, I'm a visiting assistant professor. Um, of design thinking. So my background, the last four years have been at Princeton University. I taught a class called Creativity, Innovation, Design, which was an introductory class for undergraduates. The first half of the class focused on creativity and the suite of skills that constitute creativity. It was very individual and lab-based, although we started to get a little bit towards the end of the first half into thinking about the culture of creativity and the creativity of groups. And then the second half of that course was really an introduction to design and design thinking, where we would give the students a a complex, what we call wicked problem on Princeton University's campus, break them up into teams, and they would go through um, a sort of phases, quote unquote, phases of design thinking to try to address it. So we did things like sexual misconduct on campus and political polarization, um, design for attention, and the attention economy was the last one, which was my favorite, I think, of before. Um, and then I also, uh, started a program at Princeton in which uh, small groups of students would work with partner organizations on multi-year design thinking challenges. So again, it was primarily undergraduate, but these were long cycle social innovation mm. challenges like affordable housing in a local municipality, um, mitigating lead poisoning with a nonprofit in Trenton, working with New York City Department of Education on, um, on uh, lowering the dropout rate from, um, from high school to college for public high school kids. Mm. Um, so things like that. Um, That's interesting. I'm getting long winded. Yeah. Prior to that, I did my MBA and my master's of education at the University of Virginia. And prior to that, I was an entrepreneur. So I'd actually never heard the, design, the term design thinking until I got to grad school. I went to uh-huh. grad school um, really thinking about either somehow connecting education and entrepreneurship, like either starting a school, so sort of educational entrepreneurship, or mm-hmm. teaching entrepreneurship, so entrepreneurial education, um, and discovered design thinking there. And it, it really resonated for two reasons. One, um, it kind of very nicely explained everything that I did terribly wrong with the first company and accidentally better with the second company. And the second reason was we were talking about all of these cognitive, metacognitive goals in education on the M.Ed. side of things. And then when I took my first class in design thinking on the business school side, I felt a lot of those changes in myself through learning design thinking. So it seemed like design thinking was a very effective pedagogical vehicle for getting at the types of growth and opening up that we wanted students to go through. In In education.
3: Like, what was the word that you said pedagogical? H- I'm sorry, <laughs> I did not understand that word. What does it um, mean? Pedagogical? The, yes, pedagogical. Pedi-
4: yeah, pedagogy. So, um, the learning. Yeah, okay. a fancy way for. Oh,
3: fancy way. <laughs> learning goals and learning outcomes. Yeah. Okay, I have a question. So you said that you worked at a company, and what you, the, the the type of Mindset that you had in that company. It wasn't successful for the company. Is that yeah. what you meant? So where did you work? or I'm sorry not the place, but what did you do with that company? So the first
4: company I co-founded built fundraising software for nonprofits. Mm-hmm. I had interned with a nonprofit where I had a project for them that I felt like could be its own uh, Social venture um, to sort of build a software that might be useful for a lot of nonprofits mm-hmm. um, And I did it What about it totally the wrong way. <laughs> so sort of like had the idea spent a lot of money, time, and energy building the software, and then tried to go out and convince nonprofits that the software will, will help them. Right. Um. So this is sort of the anti-design approach. Um, and I, I, yeah, it failed, right? There are all of these things in terms, all of these intricacies about how small and mid-sized nonprofits, who are our customer base, operate that I just didn't know. And I didn't know that I didn't know them. Mm. So when we got to, after we had built the software, um, you know, going out, there was all, all of these hiccups that um, could have could have and should have informed the design of the software and in fact the design the value proposition of our company. <laughs> if I had started upfront with doing um, ethnographic research, design research, new uh-huh. finding these sort of buzzwords around um, design research, you know and, but really that come down to understanding uh, the people that you're going to be working with
3: in depth. Oh, so you didn't do that, and that's why did you fell done. in that project. That's yeah, okay. Yeah. So actually, this was like the first question for me was when did you hear about when did you first hear about design thinking? And you answered that. And then, what is design thinking to you, or what is your definition of design thinking?
4: That is a great question, um, and I it's a question I answer a lot, and my answer depends on the audience, which okay. I'm just revealing to you. Okay. There, I think there's the question of like, what is design thinking? If you look it up in terms of a, a definition, and that has no value, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's value is, how are people operationally defining it? Like if you look at what people are actually actually doing, not what they're mm-hmm. saying about what they're doing, if you look at what, the, what they're doing mm-hmm. with design thinking, what is it? And I think there are, there are three overlapping definitions of design thinking that are emerging. Mm-hmm. One is, this is sort of the original one, design thinking was the philosophical and psychological study of design across different design disciplines. So you know, this is where we first saw the term design thinking emerge through the 70s and 80s, and it was sort of asking the question from a real depth research perspective: What are fashion designers doing that architectural designers, you know, the graph and graphic designers are doing? What makes all of these things design, right? Mm. Um, And so you have you know, going back to like B. F. Skinner, you have people asking these sorts of questions. Um, That is now like a really very 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 small slice of the design thinking world, but that's its initial work. So sort of bucket number one, the study of design across design disciplines. Mm-hmm. Bucket number two, coming into to like the '90s, you know, I think about Tim Brown, the CEO of IDEO, asking the question, uh, "Where else could design be applied?" And so we might call that transdisciplinary design. Mm-hmm. So we had designers, you know, trained designers, sort of saying, "Okay, well, you know, is the way that we approach designing this space could that be applied to thinking about food policy or or the food system in San Francisco public schools?" Right? Mm -hmm. We can't hire a food system designer. That's not a degree that you can get. But maybe the approach that designers would take, and in fact, maybe if we grab design different types of designers and put them on the same team along with a couple other subject matter experts, maybe that team could take a designerly approach to a transdisciplinary problem Mm. or area. So that's okay, so we have this is a really long-winded (laughs) end. Bucket number one, study of designers. Bucket number two, transdisciplinary design problems. Where else could design be applied? And now I think we're seeing a lot of bucket number three, which is like, Introduction to designerly thinking. So um, it's also related to transdisciplinary t- design, but I think this question is like, what's? How do we teach people who have never had any design experience to think more like a designer? Mm-hmm. This tends to be like outreach and introductory courses and workshops and like the sort of certificate programs. You know, we see a huge uptick in the business world because I think it helps create value in terms of well, how do we get more of our staff who don't have a background design to think like designers? Right. Mm, Um, And obviously those three buckets are interrelated, but that's my very long winded answer is uh, what makes all the design disciplines similar? (laughs) Where else can designers apply design to transdisciplinary design and how do we introduce or train non-designers to think a little bit more like designers?
3: Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So that's, that actually makes sense. And, um, Can I I add one more thing? Yes, yes, add. I'm sorry. Because you're going to edit this down, right? (laughs) I'm going to edit everything, but I am actually interested just to know, like we have like certain questions that we wanted to answer for. This is one of the most important questions. So yeah. of course I want to know what you think.
4: So that's like my ten minute answer. My one minute answer is design thinking is to the design disciplines what the scientific method is to the scientific disciplines. Mm-hmm. So the scientific method has a generalized process: uh, hypothesis, experiment, observation, yada yada yada. So does design, which sometimes might be called like empathize, define, ideate, prototype, test. Scientific method has a transdisciplinary toolkit. Right. So we might see science tests from biology. The uh, social sciences using things like control trials. Design thinking also has this sort of transdisciplinary toolkit, like uh, contextual interviews and brainstorming methods. And then the scientific method has underlying deduction and induction as the core ways of thinking. And in design thinking, the core way of thinking uh, is abductive reasoning. What does that mean? Creativity what does that and mean? empathy. What
3: does that what mean? What is abductive reasoning? Yeah, I'm sorry because I'm not familiar with these kind of Yeah, things. no, nobody is, so that's fine. Okay.
4: <laughs> so, Design, sorry, science is understanding how the world works.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Design is understanding what might make the world better. Ah. So it's about value creating. So that's one core difference. So, you know, if I had a whiteboard, I would say, I think Keys Dorse explains it best, but sort of like deduction would be, I know where the stars are in the sky right now. I know the gravitational laws of motion. I can deduce where the stars are going to be in the sky tomorrow.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Induction would be, I know where the stars are in the sky now. I observe where the stars are in the sky over many other days and I can induce what the gravitational laws of motion would be. Mm. Abduction is, uh, now we're not thinking about predicting results. We're thinking about creating something. Abduction number one might be, let's say I'm a furniture designer. I could say, well, I know what values we want to create. We want it to be comfortable and be able to be produced for under $20. Um, I've studied ergonomics, like how humans interact with objects, mm-hmm. discipline. I've studied economics. And I can start to abduct what types of chair, what forms and materials might bring about the value mm. of comfort and uh, financial inexpensiveness.
3: Like oh. Yes, um, and one of, yeah, one of the questions that we had is um, what, what training or education is required for this type of work? <laughs> like for, for design thinking, because I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm asking, this is a general question, but like yeah. even for medicine, do you remember we talked about this, like with, with medicine and with um, how it applies to medicine. So yeah. like, for example, you became, so you became a design, a design thinker or is it design, because there's, there's like, a, um, I think an intertwine between like design and designers and they say, that the, like um, Leslie said that designers hate design thinking <laughs> or the word design thinking. And it's interesting that, so what do you think, what kind of training do we need? To become design thinkers, or to do design thinking—is like a specific training, or is it just a way of thinking to solve problems problems creatively? What do you think? Um, it's
4: a that's a phenomenal question with with no good answers at the moment. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> okay, you know, I hate to just punt on it, but it kind of depends on the ch- depends on what you're doing. My, one of my mentors in graduate school um, used to say uh, design thinking is a do no harm methodology. And what she meant by that is sort of any bit more that you can get people to behaving like designers generally is a good thing. So if we're starting from I never think about asking deep questions to my stakeholder group, and you go to maybe I should spend a little bit more time trying to understand what's going on in the lives of my stakeholder group. Mm -hmm. That's that's good, and you don't need ages of training to do that. You, you, um, but she was largely working in the business context, and I do think there can be lots of harm done in certain types of challenges, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, especially, yeah, I don't know. We're just sort of talking in, in hypotheticals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what sorts of training needs to be done? Um, I think one way that the tension between designers and design thinkers is for those who are receiving early training and those of us doing the training to talk about design and design thinking like we talk about science and the scientific method. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important that everybody in the world has an introduction to inductive reasoning and deductive reasoning. Mm -hmm. And there's not many people now who would disagree with that, although before Roger Bacon 400 years ago, like science wasn't part of core curricula. Mm
3: -hmm. I think the
4: same is true for design and design thinking. I think it is important that we teach everybody some skills, some tools, and the importance of abductive reasoning creative methods, creativity, empathy, and and what is empathy and how to generate it. Um, And then I wouldn't want someone who has taken one class in the scientific method to lead a multi-person, multi-million dollar study into whether climate change is real or not. Uh, And I think (laughs) there's a similar thing here of like, okay, well, let's just be aware that if we do an introduction to design thinking, it's kind of like doing an introduction to the scientific method. And we're, we're, it's, we're fine if we're telling people, go back to your context and think more like a designer, mm-hmm. or go back to your context and think more like a scientist. But we don't necessarily, we would want those people, I think, if they're re- leading really difficult societal work, to say, can you bring in subject matter experts onto your team as well, including professional designers. Mm. Right?
3: Okay. Does, Does that make sense? sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. You're right. Because like, for me, um, just to, like, to elaborate on your point, like for me, from the point of view of medicine, uh, we've never learned that, that type of thinking. So as doctors, we have the scientific method. So we do think about it when it comes to research, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to treating patients, right? Uh, we like, gather data from the patient so we can make an analysis of the condition and then give them a diagnosis and then give them treatment based on that and follow up with them. And maybe if they have a surgical problem, we we'll treat it. But uh, like expanding on like, treatment, um, how can I say, like approaching each patient differently, it's a skill we learn with time, but we don't, we, we're not taught that in medical school. We're not. So we just go into the real world and just experience problems from A to Z, and we don't know what, what to do with patients. We don't know how to approach each patient differently. There's no creative way of doing it. And even if a doctor, like, becomes a manager of a hospital, if he doesn't have that way of thinking, he fails. And this actually happens a lot in Saudi Arabia. Like, um, because in Saudi, what happens is many people, um, like, when they get a promotion, especially if it's a university hospital, the, the person who runs it is a doctor. But the problem is a doctor is that he's not trained to think in that way, which is what you're saying. So we get stuck with so many mistakes that happen, and a lot of things get delayed, and they, they don't know how to make the hospital better in a creative way. Mm-hmm. even though they're doctors, even though they understand what patients might need, but they don't have that creative way of thinking. And that's what like made me interested to work at Taylor and try to understand design thinking. Um, and I'm very thankful to, to you, to Leslie, to everyone who's teaching us about this. So I, I think that you're right, that everyone should learn what you talked about. It's very important because uh, each person is not just going to be stuck with one job. That's the truth. You're going to go on and do other things in your life in your, in your discipline that requires other skills and a different way of approaching problems. And this is... The next question is, how is design thinking different from other methods of problem solving? Or why do you think design thinking is so effective? Why is it different from like, what other people might suggest for problem solving?
4: Yeah, that's a, another great question. So I don't think I'm going to answer the question directly. I mean, because okay. so, you know, I'm not sure what I would contrast with it. Like, so that, for example, there's, um, there's, the, there's a, a methodology and community called creative problem solving, CPS. And there's tons of overlap with Design thinking, um, in turn, ter- um, so that's sort of there are other methodologies explicitly in the creative space, mm-hmm. and many of them have uh, longer histories than the term design thinking. Um, then there are other methodologies for what I would call project work, right? So maybe project management or strategic thinking, um, and so those aren't explicitly on the creativity side of house, but they're uh, they're a toolkit for. Moving a project in through phases and and creating something potentially Mm. So I think this the question you ask is really important because to me it splits our audience a little bit down the middle Mm -hmm. when I'm speaking with um, Career professionals or faculty or, or grad students even most of the time they've had some Methodological training in project work even if it wasn't called that so in that case i very much introduced design thinking and prompt reflection to think about what the differences might be and what differences they're seeing in terms of how they're trained to sort of advance work and how we would advance work in the design thinking realm. Mm -hmm. Um, Undergrads, which is primarily where I taught for the past four years, um, often, not always, often don't have any project Mm -hmm. (laughs) management experience, right? So even in somewhat of how I taught, you have to teach it a little bit differently because you know, even the first summer that I taught at Princeton, what I learned was like half of the reason that the students fell in love with what we were doing was because it was a way to do work and had <laughs> nothing to do with the way to do work. Right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, I, you know, when we do more professional experiences, then it's more mindful, a bit of like, okay, they've had, they've had ways of doing
3: work before and it becomes a
4: little bit more about the
3: way of doing work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's like I, you're taking these young minds and you're teaching them a method and it be, it, it's easier because, um, it's fresh for them, they don't know anything about it, and they love yes. to start using it creatively. But for other people, because they have learned it differently, so it's a little bit different delivering the information to them, and it might be more challenging.
4: Yeah, I mean, one one challenge with undergrads is, and then this is both a good thing and a negative thing, is like, now they have one hammer, and they see the entire world as nails, and it's like design thinking, design thinking, design thinking, design thinking, design thinking, okay. design thinking Which is It's great, but can really annoy other people who then come back to me with like, why are they, you know? okay. so, so I. When, I do, when I've done scoping exercises with, um, with organizations, I usually talk about the question, how might design thinking be useful? Like where is design thinking useful and where is it not? Mm-hmm. And I come back to those three layers. So I often introduce design thinking and talk about it as, as a body of techniques for human-centered problem solving that has three layers. A guiding process, mm-hmm. uh, those are the hexagons or you know, different firms use different language, but sort of the phases of the project. The interdisciplinary toolkit, Mm -hmm. like contextual interviews and brainstorming methods and prototyping methods and the core mindsets of creativity, empathy, and abductive reasoning. Mm
3: -hmm. So when I'm
4: scoping projects with organizations, I come back or or when I'm creating classes or workshops, I always come back to those three layers and ask the question, um, what in the body of techniques as I define design thinking is necessary here? Mm -hmm. And my answer is usually the guiding process. Sometimes the interdisciplinary toolkit usually, and the underlying mindsets always, almost always, right? So if we are, if for the guiding process, the question is what's the object? And okay. the, the problems that are a good fit for design thinking are ones that are fundamentally human-centered. They're about improving the experience for humans or nudging humans to make better decisions, better decisions for themselves. So it's about behavioral or experiential challenges. And it's open-ended. Um, we don't know what the possible directions for the project might be. So so for example, if the university comes to us and says, we're trying to figure out the next location for our new residential hall and we're considering site A, site B, or site C, I would say design thinking is not going to be the right
3: methodology mm. for you. Ah, okay. if
4: you're choosing between options, you should do strategic thinking, right? What are the yeah. pros, cons, you know, what are the costs, et cetera, for each of those? If the a university comes and says, um, you know, we there's, you know, take sexual misconduct, sexual assault, like you know, it's a huge problem on our campus and we're stuck. We don't really know what to do. Ah. And I say, oh, this is a good challenge for design thinking because it's fundamentally about human experience and behavior. And we're creating, like, we need an innovative process. We need something that will develop new things. <coughs> it's not just about studying what's been tried and then picking the best solution, although studying what's been tried is an important part of it. But it, then we need a creative methodology. We need a design
3: methodology. Mm, that makes sense, yeah. That's true. Um, so one of the questions that I have for you, so thank you for answering. That question in details it was much appreciated because I think a lot of people like including myself because I did study something in medical school that is problem-based learning mm-hmm. and it was a creative way of looking at your patient from different perspectives and trying to treat them that way but the problem was not from us students like you said who were undergraduate and who were trying to learn more the problem was with the professors because they had been taught in the old um, you know um, ways of practicing medicine so for them to teach us something that they don't understand that they have never practiced it was a problem so it was not very successful for my class it was successful for the next class because we gave a lot of feedback on how to improve that point for them so thank you for explaining this very important point yeah i Um, should also add because it's always worth adding that
4: very little in design thinking is new to design thinking other than the putting it all under one umbrella so it's not that design you know, th- there's almost nothing in the design thinking body of techniques that you would say this only exists in design thinking. So you'll see tons of overlap with um, other methodologies and places, and even like all of the tools in design thinking, like you can trace these back either to design disciplines or to social science or development studies or to, to business and marketing, right? So it's, it's kind of, design thinking is a bit of a vacuum that looks at a particular set of challenges that are a good fit for it and then sucks up methods, <laughs> you know,
3: into <laughs> it that are, that are, seem to be useful. Uh, yes. Well, that makes sense. It's true. Um, so I have a question. So we talked about this, but um, of course, what we the, the the point of this whole podcast is for us actually to include people from different backgrounds and from different countries. And uh, I know that you're not the targeted like um, um, sample that we want, but I I'm, I'm true. I'm very happy. No, I'm very happy because I think you're part of the sample. Yes, maybe uh, uh, Leslie is looking for a way to include you know like other races from other countries and stuff like that. But I think it's also important to get feedback from you know like the general the people who are considered like like um, the main um, like the people who consider design thinking to be white and male, mm-hmm. or one of the white males to talk about design thinking, and really give, like, add to the experience, so we can actually include everyone, including you know, like the, the main time. sorry, my expressions. I'm not, uh, <laughs> not very accurate today. But the question that is relating to what um, I'm saying is, how do place and identity affect the work of designers or design thinkers from the flu Yeah, so can you say it one more time? Okay, so how do place and identity affect the work of the designers, or design thinkers from the pluriverse?
4: Mm-hmm. And the pluriverse being?
3: Yeah, the, like everyone else. So let's say that you're the white male, right? Yeah. How was your how, was the, place and, yes, how was the place and identity of you affected yeah. how you view design thinking? Have you met? I think that's the next question is, uh, what design or design thinking question do you have for other designers from the pluriverse? So describe your experience or your interactions with other designers from different backgrounds, like Leslie, and what questions do you have for them for like their discipline or another design thinking question? Yeah, I think,
4: um, the, the top line question for me, I don't know the top line, but the first one that came to my mind at least is how, how do people describe and talk about their work? Yes. Right. So I, the first question you asked in terms of how do you describe design thinking? I think that's an excellent question. And, um, of all the things, there's many things I'm interested in that one. I'm very interested in what responses and answers you'll get. Um, I think a second question is, you know, problem framing is a big part of the design thinking, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so gaining some clarity on what the similarities and differences are between the, how everyone in the pluriverse is applying design mm-hmm. um, is helpful. You know, because I think I can, like, generalize out to the point of saying that design is any and everything where you're creating new things. So I'd almost, just, like, it's the, thinki- it's the thinking and doing that's not science. So in terms mm-hmm. of that frame in the beginning, like, if science, it's science, is understanding how the world works, and design is... Understanding how to make the world better or create value or um, change it, um, then everything and Under the sun is design. But that's almost too general. So where more concretely down do we have similarities in terms of what we do?
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, you know, and I is, are every is everyone that you're talking to use the term design thinking, or do you think you're going to talk to people who are doing design, but Aren't going to use that term.
3: I think we're, we're going to talk to people who are not using that term. We haven't talked to anyone, so this is my first interview. Yeah. But I think we will, and that's why, um, like, I'm, I'm using these words, and I'll see what's going to happen in the interviews, uh, like what they're going to say, um, what they're going to think, because we're actually interviewing people from, you know, like all types of designers, whether they were like design thinkers or not, uh, because we have like a very long list of people that we're going to talk to about this. And so you answered the second question, which is the questions that you have for other designers, right? But the first question yeah. about like the your, the place and identity of you as Ray Steinhauer. Like, yes. how did that affect, like, you being a white male American, yes. living in America, like, uh, doing the design thinking course for students at Keller Center, uh, how did that affect your work or affect the projects that you received or affect how you executed things? Was it, did, like, did you work with other people who were designers or design thinkers who were from different backgrounds than you and were the way that they approached things different than you? Because they came from a different place like Leslie, she, she came from Trinidad, was it different? I'm sorry, the question is, is like, too broad, but I think, I, I just want to know your personal experience about this, like, your personal feeling about it or what
4: you think about it yeah it's a it's a great question and it's one that I'm thinking a lot about right now Mm as um as I'm coming to New Orleans and Tulane Mm -hmm. and Tulane from what I understand already has a reputation of being outsiders (laughs) not only am I an outsider I'm a white male relatively affluent outsider. Like, I check off all of the boxes in terms of, like, privilege coming in, right, and then working at Tulane, And then on top of that, I'm, you know, my contract, you know, my position is a two-year visiting assistant professor. So at the moment, like, that, that's something I'm hypersensitive of about right now, especially as I'm, you know, here to help do community design work, right? So, you know, we, we talk about in design thinking about having a beginner's mindset. I don't need to have the beginner's mindset. I am a beginner. I don't know. If, you know I could, I could, there's almost nothing I do know about New Orleans or or Tulane. And especially like, you know, we talk about sort of functional empathy and emotional empathy. Like it's one thing for me to have read a bit about what it's like here. I would feel very uncomfortable doing any programming right now because I have no intuitive understanding about what people are looking for, what they need, and how they'll resonate. Ah. And and I, I think about, so that, so the question about like identity is like very much on my mind right now. That's good. Um another place where I think about identity a lot in the design work is um being a little philosophical here, but Mm -hmm. a lot of the design research work that I'm familiar with is has some traces back to constructivist epistemology. What is that? Constructivism being that um sort of loosely like it's hard to differentiate between what's reality and how people construct their reality. So sort of as humans, we are not just living, but we're constantly creating the narrative of our experiences. Mm -hmm. And um, that is what we're trying to understand in a lot of the design research and interviews is how people construct their world and their experiences, not just what do they do. So if someone says um, something to the effect of like, uh, you know, I, I, Work out four times per week, mm-hmm. and um, staying healthy is very important to me. It's not just about taking the data down of they said they work out four times a week, but it's also understanding that that's how they construct and understand their world—a world in which they work out four times a week, and that uh, mm. the, that working out is important to them. Um, and that's that, like that's not the type of identity per se that you're that usually comes first and foremost to mind. Like when we say identity in these conversations, we often. Think what are the demographic identifiers? You know, white, you know, race, um, ethnicity, country of origin, gender, sexual orientation, right? Those things sort of come to mind. But in fact, what we're saying is like, so nearly our entire existence is lived through identity in different ways, right? So Mm. we identify Myself as someone who does this or does this, who does this. That's true. And it comes in on the front end of the research in terms of trying to understand what people's identities are and sort of how do they construct themselves within the world, broadly speaking. And then it also comes in in how we design effective interventions or concepts because um, a lot of what effective design does is help people write a different story of who they are and how they live through the world. (laughs) Right? Mm. That's the, I'm going to butcher this quote, but like, the most effective way to change people's beliefs and actions is in the space in between what they do and how they see the world. And I don't have an attribution for that quote, um, but I can get it to you, Um, but I love that idea of like, okay, well, if we want, you know, coming from Princeton, for instance, one of the projects we worked on was uh, affordable housing in Princeton. Princeton is from, I'm generalizing, but from an identity standpoint, a very liberal town.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: Right, it's democratic consistently, um, you know, lots of people showing up for rallies that support um, progressive issues and causes and um, changes to the zoning policy that would make Princeton more accessible and diverse are fought tooth-and-nail by those same people
3: ah. <laughs> right
4: so as we're thinking about changing the design in this context like the identity of I am someone who uh, lives in a town that is trying to make the world a better place a gap between that constructed identity and you know I'm I'm voting against zoning policies because I'm worried that my property value will go down even though studies show that, you know, like that space in between is Mm -hmm. is often a really effective way to move people along political issues. So that's that's, really true. I this the last four minutes might get totally edited out
3: and that's no, fine. That's, that's okay. And no, I think because actually we're gonna we're gonna use the interview and Leslie will listen to it and she will <laughs> she'll give her input. But I think like keeping the interview as is but just what the editing will be either to, to make it a little bit shorter or to add stuff like to add stuff in the middle like um like like music or break or like explanation, that's the editing that's gonna happen. Um but yeah, I think what you're saying is true. Like for myself I identify as a doctor. That's mm. true. So because in Saudi we don't have that identity of skin color. It's different. We have the identity actually of being part of tribes. So if you're part of a tribe and you have that job and you have that thing, you identify in that way.
0: Mm, um, nice.
3: yes. And it's like, especially if it's like you're a male. Oh, so, you know, you have that, that whole I'm a male thing, you know, I'm coming from a tribe, I have that job, I have these properties. You're very, I think that the way you describe it as how you describe identity is very relatable. Even to me, like someone who listens to your, to your definition actually can relate back in Saudi in a different way. Okay, so thank you for the detailed explanation. I loved it <laughs> because it makes so much sense. And it, that's, what, that's, what I, that's what I meant when I first mentioned that in the, in the beginning of the uh, interview is that you make things very simple. And I'm very happy that you joined the faculty. And that even though you're just visiting, but I'm happy. and I'm happy we have more work to do in the future. But um, one of the questions that I had as well that, was, um, that is important is, um, how do designers feel about, uh, like, or how do non-designers feel about design thinking? Like, did you have someone who was not, you know, like, not, not a designer? And what, like, you explained design thinking, what did he feel about it? Like, a, a, a professor at Princeton or someone else? Yeah. And at the same time, um, what is your advice for the non-designers who, are, who will use design thinking or are using design thinking?
4: So these two yeah. So, one of the things that I did at Princeton was um, have a standard go-to ninety-minute introduction to design thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, it was easy to sort of out of the box if people are, have heard of it, buzzword or whatever, and they want to know more about it. They want to introduce to the organization they had to go. To. So I ended up doing this workshop I don't know, maybe forty to fifty times with the a huge range of audiences from middle school students oh. up to you know you know administrators and outside organizations, etc. And uh, Whenever I did it, it, fe- it felt like no matter who the audience was, there was the same breakdown of reaction to it. Like, mm. roughly a quarter of the people in the room um, were like, this is BS and that was a complete <laughs> Okay. Roughly half of the people in the room were like, that was really interesting and I could imagine using this in different ways and I hope there's some follow-up that others will do. <laughs> mm. And roughly a quarter of the people in the room were like, how have I lived this long in my life without knowing that this exists? My uh. entire reality will never be the same. <laughs> I'm being a little fictitious about it. but. but that those audiences were in the room, whether or not it was faculty members or middle schoolers, right? mm-hmm. and I don't know what explains those differences. But um, yeah, there's there's a ton of skepticism about it, and it comes from a few different places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know, do how helpful this. Is. I mean, there were there there were there was faculty skepticism, and um, I think that in a couple of those conversations it was because their first introduction to design thinking came in a very quote-unquote non-rigorous way and Mm -hmm. so there were times we're talking about what design thinking and the epistemology of design thinking and its origins and being very clear about what it can and can't do wins you favor with certain people Mm -hmm. and if you get the newcomer evangelists talking to the skeptical professor you're doomed from the start Uh, Um, So that's, but I think that's a rarer skepticism. That's sort of like, I under, I need to understand what the underpinnings of this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A broader skepticism um, is often how, I hate all of my answers that I'm giving
3: right now. What was the question? So the question was, uh, how do design non-designers think of design thinking? So you were actually on the right track. You were explaining. So what you said actually explained stuff, that when you try to explain to people what design thinking is, and you got the yeah. feedback when you're, like, doing a workshop or class or something, like you said, from middle school to administrators, yeah. the three types of reactions made sense. So this is how the non-designers view design thinking, you know, from the interactions that you had with non-designers. Yeah. Uh, but the second question is, what advice do you give for non-designers who are trying to use design thinking? Like, he he never used it, and right now he wants to use it. I like to like, like at Tulane right now, you're working with someone, a Taylor or someone who's, who, who is not trained in design thinking, and they want to use it to work, like for myself, I'm, I'm not a designer, right? And yeah. I, 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 I understand from you now what design thinking is, and i read a little bit about it, but I, I've never applied it. What kind of advice do you give for me? I,
4: you know, if possible, and you have this available, work with someone who has more experience in order to scope how you're going to use it. So, okay. um, mm-hmm. and then from there, you need to decide how much training you need. So I think a great example at Taylor Center is the Taylor Your Life program, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal. Like, I love, like From what I've learned, that program is great. And the challenge there is, um, as I understand it, um, applying design and design thinking methodologies to thinking about where, what career and life paths you might go, like design of your life. right? Um, and in that case, I think doing something like ta- Taylor Your Life is great. And if you if you're not a two-way student, you don't have access to that program. Reading the book, Designing Your Life or Design Your Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans, is a great place to start. Right, you can pick it up, and it's, it's like about you. <laughs> so ah. just go for it. Right, read the book, do the exercises, start doing it. You know, see how it works. If you can get help, great. If you can't, don't. Um, if you're you know a municipal official thinking about how design thinking could be used to help improve water quality and access in a municipality. Mm-hmm. Um, That might be a place where you, I might be more hesitant to say, "Well, pick up a book and just start going with it." Uh, Right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, it's a it's a really good question to ask in terms of how do you like what advice I would give to someone who hasn't used design thinking before. But it really depends on how they want to apply it. I think two easy wins is no matter who, no matter who you are or what you're doing, I think people can carve out a little bit more time to sit down with their constituents, with their stakeholders. like a half hour or even an hour if possible and be really intentional about what open-ended questions you ask them in order to understand how they might be constructing their existence and your and their work with you
3: Mm. and
4: if you want to read some methods about how to conduct a contextual interview you know what to do what not to do you can but even if you don't do that i think that's there's so much value in doing that and there's almost always value in doing more than we're all doing right now Mm. so you know i wouldn't say that that's doing the design thinking because design thinking is a huge body of techniques but that's Mm. one tool in the in the toolkit of design thinking is contextual interviews, and that's one everybody just pick up and start doing. That
3: uh-huh. that, um, that makes sense. Yeah. So it depends well. on yeah. So it depends on what the person needs to do. Uh, the advice will be different from you. It depends on whatever they want to do. If if, he, if he's a beginner, like you said, a student, or someone who just wants to know about it, wants to work at a place where design thinkers are there, then reading about it and working on projects might help them. But if they have a specific project and they need an approach to that project, then it's better to sit with an expert like yourself who can help them like develop ways of how to like, promote their product or something like that. Okay, so one question that now that you're a design thinker, what what area of research interests you in general about design, design thinking, or even non-design related um, like subjects?
4: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, one place that I think we need a lot more research is uh, measuring and evaluating the impacts of design thinking, design mm. thinking training. So, uh, um, I read this book recently, this is a, a little bit of a tangent, um, called Altered Traits. Altered uh, Traits? Altered Traits by um, Goldman and Davidson. And it's the the book is basically a meta analysis of mindfulness and meditate of meditation mm. and sort of like what's been claimed, what's been shown evidence based what hasn't or hasn't been shown, et cetera you know like that's what the book is trying to capture right and um I think something similar for design and design thinking uh, or design thinking in particular would be great like mm. one let's research what everybody is claiming out there right <laughs> that's true. and Frequently, a lot of the pushback against design thinking comes because um, people who are relatively new to design thinking overclaim its its um, its potential, right? mm, okay. um, And then you know what? Not as much has been studied about design thinking, but but it started to be studied, and I think we need to clarify as a community where it would be most helpful to invest next in studying its efficacy.
3: Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, it's true. Um, so yeah, I hope you can do that at Tulane. hope you can do that kind of research at Tulane, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm my next question, yeah, that's, so it's good that you have, I think that there are many students who are interested in design thinking. I know my colleagues like uh, Delaney, Tran, Lupe, like the, the team who's working with me and Leslie, they're, um, they're, I think they're, a lot of people are interested in, doing that type of research so if like if you need help maybe i don't know if you need help like from professors but if you need help from students who are fresh and undergrad and who would love to help and we're going to meet next week but it will be great if we can help you with that like even me I'm, I'm also interested and i just felt that like tran in my opinion is like she's really focused and she especially her and delaney are very focused on design thinking and doing research about it so maybe they can help yeah um,
4: that, w- that would be great um yeah. yeah i i would love that so yeah i'm meeting with everybody on monday mm-hmm. is yes. great and then i'm you know, especially since I'm downtown, um, you and I should chat a lot more because you know I want I, I don't know anybody in the three and a half schools that are here downtown. Um, but really, that's that's one of the big parts of my roles for the next two years is to get those three schools more involved and figure design out how Taylor thinking. Center and Design Thinking can be helpful there. So. I'm going to be asking for for a lot of advice from you on that.
3: Yes, I'm I'm, I'm happy to help. And uh, at the same time, that's what I mentioned in my like when I talked to Leslie and she interviewed me for the job. I I told her I've I've never heard of design thinking before. That's the truth. Like I've been in t- I've been at Tulane since two thousand and sixteen. I've done two two degrees of master's degree, and I've um I've never heard of it. This is the first time for me to hear it, and it was through an uh, you know a job ad for students. I didn't even <laughs> know about it. So it's very interesting to see how you can help apply that for people who are using public health you know, uh, or sorry, for people who are studying public health or doing degrees in public health or medicine. Yeah. And I think that will be very interesting. One of the questions that I had as well was, what is your input on social innovation or social design? Because this is like, uh, we hear it, but we don't really understand what it means. So yeah. from your perspective, what, what does that entail or what, 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 you, what is your input about that?
4: The, one of the things I've learned very quickly is that the language and conversations around social innovation are many, many, many more years more progressed than what I know in the conversations that I've had. So I feel like my role, especially at Taylor, with the Taylor staff and faculty is to absorb and learn and understand um, about social innovation. Um, You know, I've done design thinking for social impact um, and specifically for social innovation. So I I can only speak to the slice of it that's design thinking, but there are many more conversations beyond the design thinking slice of that that I want to learn. Want to, just to throw out one like random thing that I've been thinking about and like, is important for design thinking you know i i I think design and design thinking are like morally neutral activities in and of themselves like they're you know they're not maybe if since you're like there's a component of like getting perspectives from multiple people and like humans are generally sociable creatures there might be some like you know some slight positive of like more design tends to be better for people than that but like to give you a very concrete example i want to help refine what we mean when we say human-centered Mm-hmm. As an example, um, you know, I, I mentioned I taught the class for design in the context of the attention economy. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all had this experience of like going on an accidental Netflix binge late at night and then <laughs> like you know, being a little too tired the next day. It's but, true. Yeah. So Reed Hastings, he's the CEO of Netflix, said at a conference in 2017, conference, he said, you know, when we have new employees, they often think that our biggest competitors are Hulu and HBO Go, but our biggest competitor is sleep. <laughs> I and mean, That's, that's it's, interesting. It's funny. That's Terrifying, though, right? Oh. Um, and to me, like, especially the big five tech right now. The mm-hmm. many of the best designers, many of the best psychologists, many of the best computer scientists in the world are being paid really handsomely right now to try to figure out how we, the humans, the users, can click on more stuff or not escape their ecosystem,
3: ah. right?
4: So that is when we talk about social impact. That's an example to me of like design and design thinking, defining human centered as understanding humans in order to get them to behave in a way that benefits us, Mm. the companies, right? And you can use design thinking for that. Like, I can help those companies potentially help how people are constructing themselves in their lives and we can talk about how to get them to get more addicted and hooked and away from real meaningful deep connections and actual thriving. So, like, that's, it's a very small slice of the things we're talking about. But when we talk about social impact, like, that's one thing I want to clarify is like, what do we mean by human-centered? And in our design thinking work, we should mean, the humans that we're interacting with when they sit down and think about it and plan and decide what they value it's their values that we need to be aligned with, Mm. and that's different from their decisions when it Mm -hmm. comes to you know that's something we don't want to say but i think social media and netflix and amazon is a great example of like well it's human-centered in the sense of like well they're the ones clicking on it right so Mm -hmm. clearly that's what they want to do like not really, because if you sit them down at the beginning of the day and say, what do you want to accomplish today? How do you want to show up in the world? Most people don't say spend two hours on Facebook. They say, that's well, true. I really want to spend more time with my kids, and I want to accomplish these tasks, and I want to grow as an individual. So I, I think it's not a, it's not enough to align with human behavior. You have to align with
3: human value. You have to understand what people value is. So that's a, a distinction that, I, that I've been interested in. That's very beautiful. Uh, and I think, so if you do research about that as well, that would be very deep and beautiful because I think it, I think it's true that the companies, uh, they just want to sometimes, and I, I think that's one of the biggest problems in the world. It's greed. Like no matter how much money you have, so like Netflix or whatever, this is not just, a, this is not to criticize them, but that's the truth. Like whatever, uh, they have a lot of money, whoever have, you know, like these companies have a lot of money, they want more. And I don't know why, like you have billions of dollars, billions. I don't know why you want more. Like you can keep, you can keep getting benefits and you can keep your customers happy and stuff. But like you said, like putting value to it makes you know, makes these humans who use your, 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 your you know, your, your technology or use these websites or whatever, feel that they're doing something more meaningful according to their values, which is different from feeling guilty because I wasted two hours like you said on Facebook or on Netflix, or I wasted a whole day just watching something that is not going to add to my life, anything except, you know, remembering like some, like for myself watching a lot of zombie stuff. So like watching people die and being eaten alive. <laughs> 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 so it's not going to add like something meaningful to me wanting to make a change in the world. So I think this is a beautiful way of approaching uh, like design thinking and social innovation and how you want to do like research or explore that, that area. I hope you succeed in, in doing that research and I would love to be part of this it because okay. it's beautiful. Yeah, like I can, I can study it from the point of view of insurance companies and uh, how they, you know, because it's, it's just cool. Whatever ha- is happening to uh, the patients right now when it comes to how much they pay for treatment is just, I think it's is, is cool, especially in the US because I have experienced universal healthcare. And it's life saving it's life saving what's happening in the us is just it, 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 they might save your life but you will end up with a lot of debt with a lot of worry and if like let's say the um a surgery didn't kill you the heart attack from having the bills and all that stress stress and worry and depression sui- like leading to suicide or death by heart attack will kill you and yeah. it's very devastating and i hope the uh, healthcare changes in the next few years for the better so like studying how to benefit the patient first according to what they need and then as an insurance company let's say that the system of the insurance company continues to be implemented in the us how the insurance company can make money but at the same time provide valuable service to these patients because it might like for me as a doctor i don't look at them i don't look at them as customers even though they're paying for my services but like from a human perspective these people need my help these people are sick this is the most vulnerable time in their life i can't just think of them as a bank or a machine for money for me. This, I think this is just a cool way of looking at it. my personal opinion. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how other doctors look at it, but it's just my personal opinion because I didn't become a doctor to just get money because money will come and it will grow with certain intentions and things that you do in your life. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of stuff. it's not part of this, but this is what I Let's overhaul the
4: healthcare system together.
3: Yes. <laughs> with many others. Or let's empower
4: the people who let's
3: empower. Yeah, let's, let's empower people like me because I know that I know that many people are not happy with, like I, I've worked as a medical scribe and the doctor that I worked with, was not happy with, because he had a lot of cancer patients. I worked at the cancer center, and he was not happy with how insurance companies were, uh, like, they were really poor, and the medication cost was, like, more than $10,000 a month. This is ridiculous. These yeah. patients, they, they, don't, they don't have the money to afford especially if they're, like, above 60 or something. It's, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so this is, like, one of the, so I just added my perspective. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I won't, so I know that because you have a limited time because you have to, I think you have to get to a meeting. I'm sorry. So the. Last I think session, I have to get there. Yes. So just one last is question. Leslie there? Uh, Leslie, yeah, she's in Uptown. So yeah, I'm going to see you. So okay. uh, the last question is what other designers or individuals uh, that you recommend we interview next?
1: Hmm.
4: it's a great question. Uh, We're concluding I think the for specific with this. recommendations. I need to think about it a little more.
2: Okay.
4: Okay. I, I have, let me, hold on. Uh, so I guess. My thought is, like, I I might, you might already be doing this, but interview people who are creating great things and don't describe themselves as designers. Mm. Not just researching, though, because I would shift away from science, but they can be scientists. But who are people who have participated in the creation of new things that are having incredible impacts and results? And you may not be able to, you'll have to switch up your questions. You may not be able to ask them, like, how do you think about design and how do you ask design thinking? Mm -hmm. But I would dive into how they think about their role as helping bring about change in the world mm. and then how that ties to design and maybe like somewhere in the conversation, ask them like, is, is that designing? Like, you know, cause people use the word design, right? They'll say, yeah, we designed an intervention, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I might say, but then I might, I might figure, like, you said, you designed the intervention. What do you mean by that? What, what is design in this case? And, and like, what'd you say you're a designer? Like kind of lead to that question. A mm-hmm. 1st I'm thinking, um, one person that comes to mind—I don't know her. My my wife interviewed her when she did a visiting um, professorship at Princeton—is Jennifer Hirsch,
3: mm-hmm.
4: um, and she look her up. She I'm gonna butcher a lot of the details, but she was really instrumental in changing how Columbia University thought about the issue of sexual assault on campus. Wow. And the reason I bring her up is she she brought a very multidisciplinary approach to that work, mm-hmm. and also took down some sacred cows in the process, <laughs> uh, and I think is pretty universally acclaimed for the work that her team did. Um, and so that would be one example where I don't think, I don't know if she'd call herself a designer, but she definitely designed a new structural approach for Columbia University to study and think about sexual assault and interventions meant to reduce that on campus. And uh, a lo- you know, and there are a lot of parallels between the, you know, did a, she, she, okay. One of the things that I love that she did, among many other things, was um, talk about the importance of qualitative research in that approach, <laughs> which mm-hmm. she probably wouldn't use the term design research or might not, but, the, but she did ethnography for sure. And like, so the approach she took sounded very designerly to me, because, but more importantly, she is someone who like, now across university administrators, people want to talk to her when
3: they think about combating sexual assault on their campus, mm-hmm.
4: and she talks
3: about the importance of qualitative research. Thank you. Thank you for this great suggestion. So we're, we're going to add her to the list. Thank you. And we're okay. gonna try to, so we're going to try to contact her through you since you, since your wife knows her. So yes, that would be fine. great that we're, we can contact her through you. Thank you so much for this beautiful interview. I have learned a lot. And um, the way you explained stuff, it was very simple. And, um, you know, um, I think it will be very helpful, not just for me to train myself for the test interview, but also, uh, like, it, what, if we put this on, a, on the podcast, I think it will be interesting, especially if we put it and we promote it in Tulane for students to come to you in downtown. It will mm-hmm. be very interesting for them to listen and to hear that from you. I have two other suggestions,
4: and I probably okay. need to go, but these are okay. folks that I worked with at Princeton, okay. but uh, James Howard, you can look him up, but he um, started an industrial design firm, teaches design thinking now. Um, he was one of the first um, African-Americans to um, to win major industrial design awards, wow. um, and they were in, in the medical space, so okay. he'll have lots of fascinating experience to bring to the table.
3: Mm-hmm. And then
4: another one a little bit outside the box might be Um, the main graduate student who's a PhD, getting his PhD in psychology, he did his undergrad in industrial design, and now is doing a doctorate in psychology. And I think he, he talks a lot about bridging science and design, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, why he chose to do a traditional PhD in psychology after being trained as a designer. That's really interesting.
3: So that's James? No, no, the
4: two different people. That's Aaron Karasu. K-U-R-O-S-U
3: s u k u r s u Yeah. Okay. Kevin and James Howard. Yes, yeah. Okay. I really need to go. go. Okay. Thank I'm you. Thank ready. you.
4: Thank, you, thank you
1: so coming. much, and i you. Wow, what an interesting listen that uh that was. I hope uh Natalie, you enjoyed listening to this as much as I did. A uh, few questions. Um How did you see that place and and identity impacted their work?
2: Um. As a white male newly working with an institution with the reputation of being outsiders like Tulane has, Rave has to understand his own privilege when trying to do the community design work in New Orleans. His identity and understanding where he stands within the community and among stakeholders is critical to making an impact and having any sort of successful community design work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rave talked about approaching his design work in the community as a beginner, as he didn't know anything about New Orleans, and that starting as a beginner is important to help be- develop empathy and to understand the experiences of those in the community he began working with.
1: Well, one thing um, that I noticed is that uh, he mentioned that even though the first thing that comes to our minds when we say identity is demographic identifiers, such as race, sex, and gender, but in reality, identity is the experience of living in different ways for each person. He further explained that identity is about how people construct the narrative of their experiences and understand the world with things that are important for them, like being healthy and exercising rather than solely identifying themselves based on what they write down on paper to identify themselves in a society. Uh, another question for you. Uh, what did you learn from them about design thinking and social innovation?
2: One thing I really liked of learning about how was Ray's description of design thinking and how it compares to science. Ray described the design thinking process is to design what the, the design thinking process is to design what the scientific method is to science. And I really liked that explanation because I think it might help to provide a better understanding about the purpose of design and the process in which to get to that purpose. And that, as Ray says, design is understanding what makes what might make the world better while science is about understanding how the world works. What are you?
1: So, well, I learned from him that design thinking is to design disciples, uh, what the scientific method is to the scientific disciples, just pretty much as a, as a, what you said, um, he explains that the scientific method is, ha, has a generalized process, a transdisciplinary toolkit. Uh, design thinking also has the same generalized process and the same toolkit and abductive reasoning as a core way of thinking. So he finds that design thinking and the scientific method are, are uh, pretty much similar. Yeah.
2: Uh, was there anything that you that uh, Ray said that surprised you that you didn't agree with that inspired you?
1: Uh Rafe mentioned uh that where wherever or or whenever he did a design thinking workshop to introduce people to design thinking he had the same breakdown of reactions to it uh one quarter of the people in the workshop thought it was a complete waste of time, and the the rest have a lot of skepticism about the process and its validity. What about you like,
2: I was really inspired when Rafe was talking about what his mentor had said to him about design thinking, which is like design thinking is a do-no-harm methodology. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such an interesting yet thoughtful way to look at design thinking. One of the key parts of the design thinking process is empathy. And when you develop empathy towards your stakeholders or whoever you may be collaborating with, you're respecting their expertise, their experiences. And it's hard to do any harm, either intentional or unintentional, when you view your stakeholder as the expert for whatever design project you may be working on. It's like design thinking incorporates and reinforces respect and trust throughout the process of a project.
1: Well, well said, uh, Natalie. I couldn't have put it any better myself.
2: Uh, what advice do you, uh, did, did you pick out that Rafe has for students and other non-designers?
1: Uh, Rafe mentioned that his advice for non-designers is based on how they want to apply in design thinking uh, toolkits. His advice for students who are non-designers is to take a, a course that could affect their lives. For example, he, he mentioned that Tulane's uh, tailor your life course to help the students decide what career paths they take and how to basically design their lives to have uh, sorts of impact in the world they might want to have. What about you?
2: Yeah, uh, one big piece I took away from this interview with Ray was that his advice that anyone can do contextual interviews, which is just one tool of design thinking. that no matter who you are or what you're doing, you can do t- contextual interviews just carving out more time with your stakeholders community members whoever you may be interviewing and then being intentional about the questions you ask about their experience their existence and their experiences um i i just think there's so much value in contextual interviews and it's a really great tool that he talked about that everyone can use even if you're not a designer
1: well thank you natalie it was great having this conversation with you uh I hope to welcome welcome you back to this podcast very soon and with uh, for our listeners out there please
0: we hope you enjoyed this interview from our hello from the pluriverse series. A special thank you to Arturo Escobar, the author of Designs for the Pluriverse, for opening the space for conversations about pluriversality in design. Many thanks as well to all of our interviewees, our Design Thinking student team, Ruby, Lupe, Delaney, Tran, and Wissal, the students of the Fall 2019 sci 3010 class, Levante Lucas, our editor, and the rest of the team at the Taylor Center at Tulane. If you have any suggestions for our program, please email your comments, suggestions, and questions to taylor at tulane.edu. And also, you can visit our website at taylor.tulane.edu.